We'll begin from ayah 101. وَإِذَا ضُرَبْتُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ And when you travel through the earth, فَلَيْسَ عَلَيْكُمْ جُنَاحٌ Then there is no sin on you, meaning there is absolutely no harm, you don't need to feel guilty, when أَن تَقْصُرُوا That you shorten مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ From the prayer. تَقْصُرُوا From the root letters, قَاف صَاد رَا قَصَرَ يَقْصُرُوا قَصْر is to shorten something. It is to reduce something. So Allah says over here that there's no harm that when you're traveling, then you shorten the prayer. We haven't been given the option of leaving the prayer. Alright? Why? Because salah is something that is mandatory. You have to pray. No matter where you are, no matter what situation you're in, when a person is supposed to pray, when the time of prayer enters, then he or she has to pray. But when a person is traveling... Sometimes it's not feasible, right? For example, you're at the airport and the sun is setting at that time and you have a flight to catch. If you start praying your maghrib, then you'll miss your flight. And if you don't pray your maghrib, then you're going to miss your maghrib. So in this situation, what should be done? Leave the prayer? Because that's what many of us do. If ever we are in a situation where we're not able to pray immediately, then what do we do? We leave the prayer. But we see that leaving the prayer is not an option. When a person is traveling, then what is he supposed to do? Taqsuru. You shorten the prayer. So for example, where you have to pray four units of prayer, four units of salah, four rakah. So for example, in zuhur. Then you shorten it to how much? Two. For asr also, four is reduced to two. Isha also, four is reduced to two. Maghrib, how do you shorten three rakah? You don't shorten them. What about fajr, two rakah? How do you shorten them? You don't shorten them. Because if you shorten them, then what kind of salah would that be? Alright? So, when you're traveling, Allah says there's no harm if you shorten the prayer. In khiftum, if you fear, khiftum from khawf, if you fear, an yaftinakum, that he will put you to trial, Meaning, he will put you in difficulty, he will disrupt you. Who? الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا Those who disbelieve. If you fear that they are going to disrupt you, meaning they are going to attack you when you're praying, so it's better that you shorten the prayer for your own safety. إِنَّ الْكَافِرِينَ Indeed the disbelievers, كَانُوا لَكُمْ They are for you, عَدُوًّ مُبِينَ A clear enemy. Now remember, this verse was revealed at a time when the Muslims of Medina were always under attack. They always feared the threat of the enemy. If there was a person who by chance even went a little away from the population, that's it, he would be attacked. Muslim blood was very cheap. And the thing is that every time the Muslims would travel, go outside of Medina, there would always be a risk of getting attacked by the enemy. So this is the reason why it has been mentioned over here that especially when you fear the enemy's attack, then what will you do? You will shorten the prayer. But remember that the verse was revealed in that context, but it's not just limited to that context. Which is why we see that whenever the Prophet ﷺ traveled afterwards, whether he feared the enemy or he did not, whether Muslims were secure or they were not, whenever they were traveling, what would they do? they would shorten the prayer. So we see that initially the allowance was given. Why? Because of security issues. However, later on, 
even though the Muslims were in peace and security, still they were to shorten the prayer. And when it comes to shortening the prayer in your travel, remember it's not an option. What is it? It is an obligation. It is mandatory. So when you're traveling, don't think that you'll be more pious if you pray for rakah. No, you have to pray too. If you perform more than two, you're actually disobeying Allah. Why? Because when Allah and His Messenger have told us to shorten the prayer, then what should be our reaction? Samirna wa atarna. We hear and we obey. And this is why we see that one of the companions, he said that I prayed behind the Prophet ﷺ for the Zuhr and Asr prayers in Mina, when the people were many and also very safe. And he prayed to Rakah. Imagine at Hajj, how many Muslims were present? Thousands and thousands. Okay? Thousands and thousands of Muslims were present at Hajjat al-Wada. And they were also very secure. There was no fear of any enemy. But still, the Prophet ﷺ, he led the people in prayer. And how much did he pray? Two rakah each. This is why he said about the shortened prayer that it is sadaqatun tasaddaqallahu biha alaykum faqbalu sadaqatahu. That this is a charity of Allah for you. This is a gift of Allah to you. So accept it. You had a question, sister? Okay, is it while you are traveling or when you are traveling? I understand your question. The question is that, for example, you're taking a plane to England from here. So the flight is about how many? Six to eight hours? Five? Four? Something like that. Okay. So you're traveling from here to there. And when you get there, you're going to stay there for two weeks. And then you're going to come back. So are you supposed to shorten the prayer only on the plane? Or are you supposed to shorten the prayer for the whole time that you're away from home? Hmm? Okay. Three days. Anybody else? Yes? Nineteen days. Yes? Fifteen days. Anybody else? Yes? A week. Anybody else? Yes? Three days. Okay. You see all these different opinions? You see that? Now we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he traveled at different times for different lengths of time. And whenever he traveled, he shortened his prayer. To the point that even if he went for a day, it was a day's journey, he went and he returned the same day, still he would shorten the prayer. So this teaches us that you shorten the prayer when you are traveling. The whole time that you're traveling. Even if you go somewhere, for example, the Prophet ﷺ went to Mecca, stayed there for 19 days and shortened the prayer throughout his stay over there. So it doesn't matter. There's no minimum number of days that has been specified. Okay? There's no minimum number of days that has been specified. We see different, different opinions because they're all based on the ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ which tell us about when he traveled for a certain number of days, he shortened the prayer. So this teaches us that whenever a person is traveling, whether he's traveling for 5 days, 10 days, 20 days, what will he do? He will shorten the prayer for the entire length of time that he's away from home. And we see that some companions, they stayed, for example, Anas anhu. he stayed in Asham for 2 months. For 2 months. And he prayed Qasr prayer for those 2 months. Those entire 2 months, what did he do? He shortened the prayer. Why? The reason was that he did not know when he was going to go back, when he was going to return. So if you go somewhere and your tickets are booked, you're going to England, you're going to come back after two months. You're staying there for two months. 
Okay? You're going to go to London, you're going to stay there for two months. Then when you get there, for your trip there, you're going to shorten the prayer. Once you get there, you don't need to shorten the prayer. Okay? You will pray as you normally do. However, once you get to London, you're going to go to Manchester, and you're going to go to Glasgow, and you're going to go all over. You're constantly traveling. Then in that case, what will you do? You will shorten the prayer. Likewise, if you go to England, and you say, okay, let me get there, and I'll see when it's best to come back. You don't know when you're coming back. It could be one week, could be three weeks, could be one month, could be two months. So when you're uncertain about the length of your journey, then what will you do? You will shorten the prayer until you are certain. Okay? So yes, you will find out. Some scholars say 19 days, some say 15 days, some say 3 days. But the fact is that when a person is traveling, he is traveling. When you're away from home, when you're away from your routine, you're busy doing so many things, then obviously it will be difficult for you to pray four units of prayer at a particular point in time. So this is an ease, a facilitation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted to this ummah. So what should we do? We should accept it. Also remember one more thing about the distance. Let's say you say, I'm going out with my friends to Richmond Hill from here and we're going to go eat there and then we're going to come back. It's going to take maybe four or five hours in total. Okay? For example. Although you shouldn't be spending that much time for just eating. Anyway, you say, okay, I'm going to go. So it's going to be Maghrib and Isha. Let's say Asr. So am I supposed to shorten the prayer or not? Okay, another question. I'm not giving the answer right now, right? Another question. You say, I'm going to Hamilton. Okay, I'm going to Hamilton for the whole day with my family. We're going to go have some fun at one of the parks over there. So we're going for a day. And we'll be back by the night time. So are we supposed to shorten the prayer when we're there? Okay, another question. I'm going to Ottawa. Okay, and I'm going to stay there for two days and I'm going to come back. Am I supposed to shorten the prayer or not? Okay, but you say, no, but I'm taking a flight. And it takes what? Half an hour? One hour maximum? How long does it take? Not too long. So still am I supposed to shorten the prayer? The thing is that when you leave your house with this realization in your mind, I'm traveling. Okay? I'm traveling. Which means that you will pack something with you for the trip, for the journey. Whether it is some food or some snacks, Okay, Or you will make sure that you fill your car with gas before you go and you make sure everything is ready and then you leave the house. Even if you're going for a couple of hours, what is it? It is a journey. It is a journey. Okay, And how much distance? Distance again, there is no minimum number of kilometers or miles that are agreed upon by all of the scholars. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ went in different journeys, the lengths were different, the distance was different, and he prayed qasr. Okay? So, at the end of the day, the distance doesn't really matter that much. What matters is, that are you taking a trip, or are you just running an errand? Okay? Are you taking a trip, or are you just running an errand? Is it something routine, or is it something out of routine? So for example, for me to go to Richmond Hill, you know what that means? I have to pack an extra bag of clothes for my kids. Okay? Why? Because they might need a change. 
they might spill something on their clothes. It's a long drive. I'm going to have to pack extra toys and extra snacks for the drive. Why? Because it can take up to hour, hour and a half, two hours to get there. So for me, it's like a journey. Might as well be staying there for the night. All right? And also, this is something very unusual for me. So if I were to go there, I would pray qasr. Because it's something unusual for me. Alright? When I go there, I go with the mindset of this is like a, a trip for me. When I go to Hamilton, even for a day, again, I have a whole bag full of stuff for the kids. Which I would not have if I were going to a restaurant or to a park locally. Okay? Likewise, you fill up your gas, you, you make sure everything is there, and then you set out of the house. So, it's not about the number of days that matter. It's not about the distance that matter. What matters is, you know best whether it's a journey or not. Whether it's a trip or not. And again, the journey may be very easy. You may just go, you know, drive to the airport, sit on the airplane, half an hour, 45 minutes flight, you get to your destination, you have your meeting, you do your work, and by the night time, you catch another flight back home. This may be very easy. Very easy. But isn't it out of routine? Isn't it something puts you in that mindset that this is a journey? This is a trip that I'm making? So, because of that reason, what will you do? You will pray qasr salah. Alright? Now one more thing. When it comes to qasr, qasr is to shorten the prayer. There's one more thing that you have the option of doing when you're traveling, which is al-jamr. What does al-jamr mean? To join the prayers as well. Which prayers can you join together? Zuhur asr you can join, and maghrib isha you can join. What does that mean? That from the time that Zuhr enters until the time that Asr ends. From the time that Zuhr enters until the time that Asr ends. This whole period of time, you can pray Zuhr Asr together shortened at any time. Whenever it's easier for you, whenever it's feasible for you. Alright? Likewise, Maghrib Isha. Maghrib and Isha. When you join them. What does that mean? That from the time that Maghrib begins until the time that Isha ends. Any time during this period, you can pray Maghrib, Isha, Qasr and Jamr. Okay? This also you can do. And this we find in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. But remember that when a person is traveling, Qasr, Qasr, shortening the prayer is mandatory. When it comes to joining the prayers, is that mandatory? No, it is an option. It is an option. You can do that. Alright? It's not mandatory, however, it is an option. وَإِذَا كُنْتَ فِيهِمْ Now another matter concerning salah. And when you are amongst them, O Prophet ﷺ, when you are with the believers, meaning you're traveling with them, فَأَقَمْتَ لَهُمُ الصَّلَاةَ and then you lead them in the prayer, then how should you lead them in prayer? This is basically referring to a similar state of danger. That when the Muslims are traveling somewhere, there is danger, there's fear of enemy, you know, fear that they'll attack. Or for example, Muslims are in battle, and the battle's going on and on, and the time for prayer is about to end. So in that case, what are the believers supposed to do? Are they supposed to delay their prayer? Leave their prayer? No. Even in the middle of the battle, even when a person is running to save his life, even in that situation, when the time comes, he has to remember Allah. 
You might say, this is strange. Why? Come on, a person is in danger. His life is at risk. Why does he have to stop and pray? Why? Why do you think so? Why is it so important? Yes, it is the right of Allah, but your life. Come on, isn't that important? Yes? Okay, Allah can save you. Yes? Allah gave you your life, so you have to remember Him even if your life is at risk. Okay. Anything else? Any other reason? Yeah? Okay. You are out in the way of Allah, so how can you forget Him? How can you forget Him? The thing is that this shows to us how important prayer is. How important salah is. That even when a person is in battle, even when a person fears the attack of the enemy, even at such a time he cannot leave his prayer, then what about when he's just feeling a little tired at home? Can he leave the prayer then? No. What about when he's just sitting with his friends, sipping on tea? Can he leave his prayer then? No. What if he's in the middle of a movie? And there comes Maghrib. So then what is he supposed to do? What is she supposed to do? Keep watching, keep watching, keep watching and pray later when the time is up? No. What if they're in the middle of the game and they're about to hit high score or whatever? Then again, can they leave the prayer at that time? No, they cannot. This shows to us the seriousness of prayer. That whether you're at school or at work, in the middle of a class, in the middle of an exam, no matter where you are, what you're doing, when the time comes to pray, you have to stop everything and Allah first. You know in salah when you say Allahu Akbar, what does that mean? Allah is greater. Greater than what? Anything that's going on in my life right now. Than this movie I'm watching, than this game I'm playing, and then this exam I'm writing, this shopping that I'm doing, no matter what I'm doing, Allah is greater. He is more important. So this is the reason why I will stop everything and pray now. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He has obligated the salah on us, He has also made it possible for us to pray. And this is the reason why there is a particular way of praying in the state of fear. Did you know about that? Salatul khawf, the fear prayer. There is a particular way of performing salah when a person is in the state of fear, meaning he fears that his life is in danger. He cannot leave the prayer, he will shorten the prayer, because obviously he is traveling, he's out somewhere. And what will he do? He will pray in a particular way. How that method is described over here. First of all, we learn over here, فَأَقَمْتَ لَهُمُ الصَّلَاةَ That even if the Muslims are in the middle of the battle, there is great danger, still they will pray how? In congregation. They will still pray in congregation together. Again, what does this show to us? The importance of praying in congregation, especially for the men. That when there are two men present somewhere, then they cannot pray by themselves. What do they have to do? Pray together. One has to lead, the other has to follow. Even in war, فَأَقَمْتَ لَهُمُ الصَّلَاةَ You lead them in prayer. How will that be performed? فَلْتَقُمْ Then it should stand from qiyam. Who should stand? طَائِفَةٌ A group minhum from them, ma'aka with you. So basically, the group of the Muslims who have to pray together, but they are in a state of fear, what will they do? They will divide up into two groups. Okay? They will divide up into two groups. 
one group will stand and pray behind the leader, behind the imam. Okay? When this ayah was revealed, behind the Prophet ﷺ. And when they are praying behind him, what will they do? وَلْيَأْخُذُوا And they should take أَسْلِحَتَهُمْ Their weapons. Meaning, as they're praying, they will actually carry their weapons with them. They will not put them down. Why? So that the enemy that's watching knows that these people are prepared. Because otherwise, if they see that, oh, they're busy prostrating and they don't even have anything to defend themselves. So what will the enemy do? Come and attack and finish off the Muslims. Correct? So this is the reason why in the fear prayer, what will the people do? They will actually carry their weapons. Generally, when you're praying, are you allowed to carry things? Your handbag or your phone or your wallet. Can you hold it? No, you can't. What about a tissue in your hand? Can you hold it? No, you can't. You can put it in your sleeve or something, but you can't hold it in your hand. Why? Because in the salah, your limbs have to be humble before Allah. In your salah, your entire body has to be submissive. And if you're carrying something, then your body cannot be submissive. Okay? You cannot move properly. But in the fear prayer, the people will actually carry their weapons. فَإِذَا سَجَدُوا Then when they will do their sajda, so they were standing behind the Prophet ﷺ, the student qiyam, they did their rukur, they got up, they went down into sajda, they performed their two prostrations. Then what will happen? فَلْيَكُونُوا Then they will, who? The people who are praying behind the Prophet ﷺ, they will go مِنْ وَرَائِكُمْ They will go behind you. Why? In order to guard the Muslims. And وَالْتَأْتِ And it will come. Who will come? طَائِفَةٌ أُخْرَى The other group. Which other group? لَمْ يُصَلُّوا Who have not yet prayed. Because remember I said that the Muslims will divide into two groups. One group is praying behind the Prophet ﷺ, carrying their weapons. Okay? But where is the other group? What are they doing? They're guarding the Muslims. Whether from the front or the back or around, from wherever necessary. They're guarding the Muslims who are praying. So those who are praying will perform one rakah behind the leader and then they will go and take the place of those who are guarding. And those who are guarding, what will they do? Now they will come, فَلْيُصَلُّوا مَعَكْ Then they will pray with you. How? وَلْيَأْخُذُوا And they will take their precaution in approaching, in getting into the rows. وَأَسْلِحَتَهُمْ And they will also carry their weapons. What do we see over here? That it is so important to pray behind one leader, one imam, to have one congregation that even in the middle of the battle would have been easier to just let some people pray first and the other people pray later. No. What has been said? One imam and what will happen? First group will pray one rakah and the second group will pray second rakah behind the imam. They will take turns. Okay? How? That the imam, after he will perform the first rakah, he will pause. Meaning he will not continue in his salah, he will wait. He will wait until the army can switch spots. Okay? When the rows are formed, then he will continue. So when he will say the salam, he will have performed two rakat. Correct? But the rest of the people, how much have they performed? One rakah each. Correct? So what will they do? After they have performed one rakah, they will get up in order to perform the second rakah. Okay? So each group gets to pray one rakah with the imam, and the second rakah they will pray themselves individually. 
This is just like a congregation is going on, you come and join them, alright? You pray two rakah with them, three rakah with them, and whatever that you've missed, what do you do? You make that up later. Okay? So they will make that up later whenever it is possible for them. Either immediately or after a few minutes, when they've gotten to their positions, whenever possible, wherever possible, they will perform their second rakah. Now this is one way of performing the fear prayer. Another way is that the imam will pray four rakahs in total. But the people will pray two rakah each behind him. So for example, the imam will perform two rakah, and in the tashahud when he's sitting, he will not get up until the rest of the people have come. When they've switched spots, okay, when the group A has gone, group B has come. When the group B has come, then he will stand up and he will lead them in prayer. Okay? Two more rakar. So at the end, everybody has prayed two each, but the imam has prayed how much? Four. Now there are many other ways of performing the fear prayer as well. But essentially, we see the main thing is, that everybody gets to pray behind the imam. Either all of their salah or part of their salah. But everyone gets to pray behind the imam. And one thing we see is that while they're praying behind the imam, what do they have to do? Carry their weapons. They still have to take their defense. They still have to be alert. Because this is an exceptional situation. Why? What's the reason? Allah says, what the ladina kafaru? Those that disbelieve, they love, they really want. Law taghfuluna. If only you would neglect from ghafil, ghain falam, ghafla, negligence. If you would only neglect an aslihatikum, your weapons, wa amti'atikum, and your baggage. Amti'ah, plural of mata'ah, mimta'ain. That they just want you to be neglectful of your weapons and your stuff for just a moment. And then what do they want? فَيَمِيلُونَ عَلَيْكُمْ Then they attack you, مَيْلَةً wahida, A single attack. And finish you off. يَمِيلُونَ from ميم يَلَام مَيْلَةً Same root, ميم يَلَام And mail is to incline. And مَالَ عَلَى Is to attack. So they're just waiting for that one moment when they will see you negligent and they want to attack you and finish you off right there and then. And this is what happens. If you want to defeat someone, then what do you look for? Which moment do you look for? When they are not paying attention. Any game, any sport, any competition, this is what people are looking for. When is my opponent negligent for even a moment so that I can get the better of him? So this is the reason why Allah tells the believers that they have to be very cautious at this time. And there is no sin on you. In if kana become there was with you adhan some hurt mimmatarin because of rain. Matar is rain and ada you know means hurt. What does this mean? That if you are troubled by rain, that for example, it's raining heavily. Okay, it's raining heavily. You are soaking. Your clothes are getting heavy. And at the same time, you have to carry the weapons. It's going to be very difficult because weapons aren't light. Isn't that so? They're not light. So they're heavy. So... There's no harm on you if you are troubled by rain, awkuntum marda, or you are sick. Marda, plural of marid. And because of that sickness, you're not able to carry those weapons in prayer. So there's no harm antadaru aslihatakum that you put down your weapons. Tadaru from wada'a to put down. So what does this teach us? That there is no harm 
that it is not an obligation to carry the weapons. Okay? It's just being proactive. Okay? So if for a reason one is not able to carry, there's no harm. It doesn't mean that his salah will be invalid. Alright? But still Allah says, take your precaution, meaning be smart. Be careful. Be attentive. Take your precaution. In Allah, indeed Allah Adalil Kafirina Adaba Muhina, He has prepared for the disbelievers what? Adaba Muhina, a humiliating punishment. Because if you think about it, these were the people who were harming the Prophet ﷺ, attacking the Muslims who were their own blood relatives, whom they recognized to be truthful and honest people, but still they wouldn't spare their lives. They wouldn't spare them anywhere. They just wanted the Muslims to be vulnerable so that they could just go and attack them and finish them. So in this situation, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teach the believers? That be attentive and be careful. And this teaches us a very, very important life lesson. And what is that? That even though you trust in Allah, you hope that He will protect you, you want that He will safeguard you, but still, what do you have to do? What do you have to do? You have to be smart. You have to, you know, put your own effort in in order to defend yourself. And a person has to take precaution. So, trusting on Allah does not mean leaving any kind of precautionary measures. No. You have to take precautionary measures and you also have to trust on Allah. Both of them go hand in hand. Another very important lesson we learn over here is that when a person is praying salah, then they can carry something that is a source of defense for them. That is a source of protection for them. Okay? Or if it is something too precious, that if it is left, then it will be lost. It doesn't mean that you carry your bag when you're praying because you love your bag. Hmm? It doesn't mean that you carry your phone or that you carry your wallet or you hold your glasses in your hand. No. It means that you carry something that's too precious, that if it is left, it will be gone. Can you think of something or someone? Huh? Like a child of yours. You're at a masjid, okay? There is elevators over there, and you know that your son loves elevators. Okay? What's gonna happen? He's gonna see mom's praying, run. Run. Will you be able to focus in your prayer? Not at all. You can lose your child. So in this situation, what can you do? Hold your child. Okay? Hold your child. You can do that. There's no sin on that. Even if it means you're performing your rukur in an awkward way, and you're holding your hands in qiyam in an awkward way, yes. Because you can't let your child go in that situation. This is why, you know, when children would be crying, women were allowed to hold their children in their salah. Why? Because children are precious. Okay? Yes. Assalamualaikum. I just want to say that when my mom went to Umrah years ago, about 16 years ago, and my brother was still under the age of one, what she did was that um, she took a piece of cloth, and because he was still a toddler, he would like to crawl everywhere, obviously. So what she did was she took a piece of cloth, she took one end and tied it to her um, ankle, and she took the other end and tied it to his ankle. His ankle. So he would still crawl around, but he wouldn't go anywhere. She couldn't see him. Yeah. But if somebody doesn't have a piece of cloth with them, or, you know, they have even um, child restraints, right? So if a person doesn't have that, they can't hold it, and they have to hold their child. You know, for example, you start the prayer, and then it comes to your mind, oh my God, there was an elevator there. 
he's going to go down the stairs or he's going to take the elevator. So grab him. Don't let him go. It's perfectly fine. No sin.